Hello, this is Pastor Matthew. I just want to take a moment personally to say thank you so much for taking time to listen to this podcast. Our mission is to impact the valley and bless the nations with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We encourage you to go check out our website at crosslinkva.com. By doing so, you can learn all about the ministries of Crosslink and how we're involved in the community. Please know we're praying for you. God bless you. This morning, if you have your Bibles with me, I want to ask you to take them and open them with me to the Gospel of Luke, to Luke chapter 12. If you take God's Word and turn with me to Luke chapter 12 for this morning's message and for our time together today. Over the last several weeks, we have been in a sermon series entitled, It's High Time. It's High Time. The verbiage of that phrase is very unfamiliar to us because we don't use that type of terminology in our culture today. But in years past, that phrase, it's high time, suggested a time and a moment of great urgency. It's like in that context that it's kind of reminding us that there's an opportunity before us, but the opportunity is fleeing, and so we've gotta make sure we take advantage of the opportunity while we have it in our possession. Romans chapter 13, verses 11 through 12 is where we get this terminology from God's word when the Bible says this, and that knowing the time that it is high time to awake out of sleep. For now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. It's high time reminds us that it's a moment of urgency to do some things. In fact, in the context of the scripture, it's that God is saying to us, it is high time in our lives, in our day, to be about the Lord's work and to be about his business. Truth of the matter is today, it's true in our lives now, even as it was then, that it can be very easy for us to get used to the mundane. It can be very easy for us to simply go through the motions. Even as a child of God, it can be very easy for us along the way to get into ruts and become complacent. And in that complacency, if we're not careful, we can also give in to the temptation of apathy. And yet God is looking at the believers in Rome and he's looking even at us today and he's saying, it is high time to do some things. In fact, I'm reminded today that none of the things we have studied are new to us. They were moments of urgency in that day, but they're also moments of urgency even in our lives today. Can I just remind us that we are living, I believe, in a state of urgency for the church? For the big C church, the body of believers in the world today, God is trying to wake us up to the things that he is calling us to do. Frankly, it is not a good day in the big C church. It is not a moment of of great joy and celebration for the Big C Church. Let me illustrate that for just a moment. Did you know that 4,500 churches in America closed their doors in 2019 before the pandemic began? Did you also know that since reopening and since we've kind of moved forward in the midst of this pandemic, did you know that the average church today in this nation is averaging about 60% of the active participation that they did prior to the pandemic? Now, I don't know where all of this will fall out and I don't know what the statistics will be in the end, but I can tell you in 18 years of pastoral ministry, I personally have never known more churches that are in active conversations of merging, aligning, or dissolving altogether than right now in this moment. 
And yet in the midst of the difficulty of the day, God is looking at his children. God is still God. He is still in control. He has not abandoned or submitted his throne. He still has all authority and all power and he's still working and moving in our lives today. We've been blessed to experience that here at Crosslink. But I believe God is still reminding us that it is high time to do some things. We've seen that it's high time to wake up and to be alert about his working and movings in our life. We've seen that it's high time to be filled up, to be filled by the Holy Spirit of God. We've seen that it's high time to suit up, to put on the armor of God and to stand firm for the Lord. We've seen that it's high time to speak up, to proclaim and share the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that reality of the gospel leads us to another calling and that is this. Today we see from Luke 12 and from Matthew 6 that it is high time, listen to the phrase, to store up. It is high time to store up. That sounds strange to us today, but listen to what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 21. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Maybe you hear those words about storing up treasures in heaven and you think, Pastor, what does this have to do with the gospel? What does this have to do with the urgency of the moment? All of this and more is answered in our text today in Luke chapter 12. I wanna ask you to stand to your feet for the reading of God's word. As we look at the subject, it's high time to store up. Beginning in verse 13, all the way down to verse 34, listen to what the Bible says. Someone in the crowd said to him, this is the Jesus, teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. But he said to him, man, who appointed me a judge or arbitrator over you? Then he said to them, Beware and be on your guard against every form of greed. For not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. And he told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man was very productive. I want you to pay attention to one of the words here in this text. And he began reasoning to himself saying, what shall I do since I have no place to store my crops? Then he said, this is what I will do. I will tear down my barns and will build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years to come. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But listen to this statement. God said to him, you, what's the next word? Fool. This very night, your soul is required of you. And now who will own what you have prepared? For so is the man who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. He said to his disciples, for this reason I say to you, verse 23, do not worry about your life as to what you'll eat or for your body as to what you'll put on. For life is more than food. The body's more than clothing. Consider the ravens, they neither sow nor reap. They have no storeroom nor barn. And yet God feeds them. How much more valuable you are than the birds. Which of you by adding, by worrying can add a single hour to his lifespan? If then you cannot do even a very little thing, why do you worry about other matters? Consider the lilies, how they grow, they neither toil nor spin. But I tell you, not even Solomon in all of his glory clothed himself like one of these. If God so clothes the grass in the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, how much more will he clothe you, you men of little faith? Do not seek what you will eat and what you'll drink and do not keep worrying. 
For all these things the nations of the world eagerly seek, but your Father knows that you need these things. Verse 31, but seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your Father has chosen gladly to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to charity. Make yourselves money belts which do not wear out, an unfailing treasure in heaven where no thief comes near nor moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Let's pray together. Father, would you speak to our heart and mind so loud and clearly today that we would respond with faith, obedience, and complete surrender to you. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. You may be seated this morning. It's high time to store up. I am very much aware this morning that any time a pastor is talking about generosity and giving, frankly, it becomes an area of great sensitivity to us. And can I just say to you today that it's also a sensitive subject to hear a message on. It's also a sensitive subject to preach on. I remember many years ago, I'd been a pastor for about seven or eight years at the time, and I had a lunch meeting with a wiser, older pastor in our community, and he was asking me some questions about ministry and specifically about preaching, and he was asking me this question, do you preach the full counsel of God's word? And, and, and I, we began to talk about the Bible, the books of the Bible that I had preached and had taught through during those years, and, and then he began to ask me about specific topics, and he said, now, now what do you do with the topic of giving and being generous? And I was very honest to say, I avoid it as often as I can. That's what I do. And he said, what do you mean? And I said, man, it's uncomfortable. At the time, I was pastoring a congregation that was, uh, much of the people were older than me, and I felt uncomfortable. Who am I to tell people how they should give? And yet it was that same conversation that God would use through the Holy Spirit to convict me. It wasn't my message, it was his. It wasn't my word, it was his. And his word is meant to be preached in its entirety for his glory and for our good. Did you know in 2 Corinthians chapter eight, the Bible says this. This is the verse of scripture that changed my mindset about this. It says this, just as you abound in everything, in faith and utterance and knowledge and all earnestness and in the love that we inspired in you, see that you abound in this gracious work also. All the church would agree that we need to be growing in faith, amen? Amen. All of us agree, if you know Jesus, that we should be growing in our knowledge of God's word, Amen. All of us agree that we should be growing in our sharing the gospel with others, amen? But Paul says, see to it that you grow in this gracious work also. You know what he's talking about in 2 Corinthians 8? He's talking about our giving. In fact, he calls it what we looked at several years ago now. It's basically grace giving. For all who've experienced the grace and mercy of God, his presence within us leads us to live and give in a God-honoring and generous way. The question is this, are we doing that? Have we experienced God's grace and are we demonstrating that in the way that we live and give? Frankly, it's easy for us to make sure that we would kind of make sure that we're looking out for ourselves and not for the interests of God. Reminded of the illustration that I told you before about the little boy and his mom who were walking into the church building one day. And as they made their way in, she looked at little Johnny and she gave him a dollar and a quarter. And she said, now, Johnny, when we walk into the building, eventually the offering plates are gonna be passed. Remember prior to the pandemic, those plates that we would pass around, remember that? Yeah, when the offering plates come that way, I want you to put this dollar and quarter in the offering plate. He said, yes, ma'am. Sure enough, he took the quarter and put it in the offering plate, but he took the Bible, uh, he took the dollar very subtly, he folded it up and put it into his pocket. On the way out after church, the mother asked him, she said, honey, I noticed that you put the quarter in the offering plate, but you put the dollar in your pocket. Why did you do that? She, he said, oh, that's really easy, mama. 
right before the offering, the pastor said, God loves a cheerful giver, and I knew I'd be a whole lot happier if I kept the dollar for myself. The truth is, in our life, it's easy to live that way. And yet God has a powerful word of instruction for us to understand our calling to store up treasures, not for ourselves and our kingdom, but for his kingdom and for his glory. I want you to see three things from Luke chapter 12. If we are going to heed this call to store up, we need to do three things. Number one, we must each look out for the temptation of greed. We must look out for the temptation of greed. As Jesus is teaching the crowd, the Pharisees are trying to catch him in a trap. The disciples are trying to learn more. There are some that are there trying to see another miracle so they can be oohed and awed by Jesus. And in the midst of that, a man speaks up very directly and bluntly. Here's what he says. Teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. Tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. Jesus in this moment could have answered and gotten into the details of this conversation, but Jesus resisted the details of the conversation. See, the man thought he had a family problem. The man thought he had a financial problem. Hey, there's a death that's occurred, there's an inheritance that needs to be divided, and I'm getting the short end of this stick, so to speak. But Jesus knew his greatest problem was not a family problem or a financial problem, it was a spiritual problem in his heart. It was a problem known as greed. And it's in that context of greed that Jesus begins to look and remind us that the greatest need in our life is that our heart would be changed by him and by his truth, not by what we get or receive physically or monetarily. Jesus saw this crowd and he gave a strong word of caution as he instructs the man. And here's what he says. Beware and be on your guard against every form of greed. That word beware literally means that every single one of us are called to attention. Every single one of us have been warned. Every single one of us must keep our eyes open, our attention alert, because there is this temptation of greed that we all will face in our life. I was reminded about the importance of of beware this past summer. My family and I had gone to, to Yellowstone as we had a trip across the country and have always wanted to go there and We spent the first day there. Frankly, we didn't see very many animals. That was one of the reasons we went. We wanted to see all the the wild animals out there. And and so one day that afternoon, we were in a gift store and a gift shop. And while I was sitting there patiently waiting for my family to hurry up and get done shopping, I began to talk to one of the employees. And I said, well, listen, I've heard there's buffalo here. Where's the best place to see buffalo? And he said, you know, he said, actually, because of the drought, there's a lot of things going on. But I've been hearing reports that there's a lot of buffalo up in this area called the Lamar Valley. When I got back to the, our, our room that night, I mapped it out and realized, my goodness, that's a two-hour drive, but I want to see some buffalo, so let's check it out. So sure enough, the next day we got up and we began to make our trip through the Lamar Valley, and we drove, and as I drove, I mean, just about every other mile, there was a sign that said, beware of the buffalo, beware of the buffalo, beware, but I'm going to be honest, after I drove 30 minutes and didn't see a buffalo, I really wasn't bewaring, Okay. I was kind of falling asleep on it. Man, this, this, is, this is a lie. They have lied. This is false advertisement. There's not a buffalo in this park. And all of a sudden, I turned the corner. And this is just a brief video clip. Pay close attention. But here's what I saw when I turned the corner. Just a few buffaloes, what I'm saying, okay? I got a longer clip that I can't show you this morning. But what I'm saying to you is this. I learned instantly, even though I hadn't seen it yet, I had to be, I drove the rest of that drive like 10 miles an hour watching. Why? Because I was driving someone else's vehicle and I didn't want to pay for it. But the point is this, we got to beware. 
Jesus, knowing the condition of the world and the condition of our heart, said, beware and be on your guard against every form of of greed. The truth is you don't have to be wealthy to be greedy. Greed is simply that we have a desire for getting more and more of something that we think we need in order to be satisfied. The problem with greed is that we see a lot of false needs. And when we meet those false needs, we quickly discover that we need even more. Greed becomes a vicious cycle in our life where things begin to possess us instead of us possessing things. In fact, Paul warns us in 1 Timothy chapter 6 of the devastation of greed in our life. Here's what he said. If we have food and covering with these, we shall be content. But those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. Listen to this. For the love of money, not money, but the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil. And some by longing for it have wandered away from the faith and have pierced themselves with many griefs. In other words, when we live a life where we don't find our contentment in the Lord Jesus Christ, our contentment, our relationship with him, we will become a greedy people, always wanting more, having another another need, having another desire, and we will find every single time it never satisfies. If we're gonna store up treasures in heaven, we must understand first the call to look out for the temptation of greed. But secondly, if we're gonna heed this call to store up treasures in heaven, we must also learn from the rich man's use of wealth. Jesus then looks at the crowd and begins to give a parable. A parable is a picture. It is a visual illustration of a spiritual truth that Jesus is seeking to convey. Now, he's already told them, beware and be on your guard against every form of greed. But then Jesus begins to tell them about a certain rich man, how he lived his life, how he managed his resources, and ultimately the conclusion and the consequences of his actions. I wanna remind us today, before we dive into the lessons we learned from this rich man, I wanna remind us here today, we are a rich people. We're a rich people. You may be here today and say, but pastor, I don't feel rich. Maybe, frankly, you spend so much time on social media without even realizing, comparing your life to others and you see them going on these trips and their life is perfect and wonderful and you look at them and think, well, man, I wish I could do that. I'm not rich. Or or maybe you look at riches and you think, you know what? I can't just go to the store and buy everything I want and just let my heart go wild and, and therefore I'm not rich. But the fact of the matter is we are rich people. We are rich people first and foremost spiritually. Did you know repeatedly in the book of Ephesians, the Bible tells us literally, for all who know Christ as Lord and Savior, the riches of heaven are all ours in Christ Jesus. If you have nothing else in this world, but you have Jesus alone, I'm just telling you, you are rich beyond anything this world can give you. And yet if you have everything in this world, but don't have Jesus, you are poor indeed. We're spiritually rich. But can I just remind us, in the context of this nation in which we live in and are blessed to live in, we are also monetarily rich. You may not see it, you may not sense it, but but I was just curious. I began to do some research this week because I wanted to try to kind of gauge that for us to understand because most of us don't feel rich, but listen to this for just a moment. If you have sufficient food on your table, more than one pair of clothes and shoes and a roof over your head, according to statistics in 2018, 
you have more wealth than over 50% of the world. If you have some means of faithful transportation, consistent transportation, you have more, in, in addition to the other things I've already stated, you have more wealth than almost 70% of the world. Listen to this. This is from a survey in 2019. Now, I realize this may not apply to everybody, but it does to many of us. So listen to the statement. If your net worth, meaning your salary, your housing, your property, your retirement, is of at least $90,000, then you have more wealth than 91% of the world. <laughs> this came out at the end of 2020. If you are the poorest 20% of the population in America today, you have more wealth than most of the current European nations. Whether you know it or feel it or not, you're a rich person. The question then is this, what are we doing with those riches? Are we rich towards self? Or are we rich towards the Lord? We learn a great deal of lessons from the rich man, Jesus Well, So notice three things. First off, I want you to see the failure of the rich man. Now I emphasize the word failure because frankly, in the eyes of the world, we would look at this guy and say, wow. Here's a guy, the Bible says that his land was very productive. And in his producti productivity and in his success, here's what he's considering. He's considering, wow, how can I be more successful? What can I do for myself? In fact, he has the type of lifestyle and the type of wealth and security that most of us would look at and say, you know what, that's my goal. I, I wanna be in that position. I wanna be that guy right there, so productive and so successful, my only worry is how can I be more successful, right? In the eyes of the world, we would say, success, this is awesome. But God shows us the significant failure the significant failure of this man is this. He is not looking to the Lord. His problem is not that he has been successful. His problem is not that he is planning towards his future. His problem is that he leaves out the Lord. Notice what Jesus says. He says to himself, hey, I've been so successful. What shall I do since I don't have a place to store my crops? This is what I will do. I will tear down my barns. I'll build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and all my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years to come. The failure of this man is simply this. He thought that the source of his success was himself. Look, look how good I've done. Look at how wonderful I've been with the land and how I've planted these rows and look at the, the fruit that's come and look at the, I mean, the barns are full. This is it. Look at what I have done. The failure of the rich man is simply this. Six different times he uses the word I. He repeatedly uses the word mine as a reminder that he's merely looking for and living for himself. The truth is that it's easy for us to do the same. We can look at our own life and our possessions and say, man, look at what I have. Look at what I've done. Look at what I have earned. We can look at our talents and we can look at our abilities and our skills. Look at what I can do. Look at what I can offer. Look at my treasures. Look at what I've earned and look at the compensation I got. Look at the bonus I got for that incredible deal I made. But I remind us loud and clear this morning, everything in our hands has simply been entrusted to us by God and it is intended for his glory and purposes. Let me ask a question. Who was it that made the land that the farmer, so to speak, owned? It was God. Who was it that sent the rain upon the crops? It was God. Who was it that allowed the harvest to take place? It was God. It was all by God's grace and mercy that he provided for this man. And I wanna remind you, it's by God's grace and mercy 
he has blessed and provided for you. It all belongs to him. Psalm 24 verse one says it this way, the earth is the Lord's and all it contains, the world and those who dwell in it. Listen to what God says himself in Psalm 50, verses 10 and 11. Every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. I know every bird of the mountains and everything that moves in the field. It is mine, God says. Haggai chapter two, verse eight, God says this. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. The context of that passage in Haggai two is God telling his people, I will provide for you. It all belongs to me anyway. The truth is that God owns everything. He simply entrusts his possessions to our care so that we might steward them for his glory and purposes. But the rich man failed to look to the Lord for direction. Secondly, I want you to see the focus of the rich man. Concluding that he had brought about his own success, concluding that he owned the crops and that he owned the barns and that he frankly could do whatever he wanted to, notice what he was focused on. The Bible says that he said to himself, O soul, you have many goods laid up for many years to come, so take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. Now think of this for just a moment. When you and I conclude that we are the source of our own success, we also then naturally conclude that everything we have really belongs to us, frankly, and we can do whatever we want to do. This guy comes to the place where he's like, you know what? Here I am, man. I have achieved it. I have climbed the mountain. I have been my success story. I've got more than enough for being happy for a long, long time. This is the best life can offer. So I'm going to sit back. I'm going to relax. I'm going to chill and enjoy all that I have done. But again, who's he forgetting? He's forgetting the Lord. He's forgetting where the blessings come from. Truth be told, today in our lives, certainly in the context of us living in this blessed nation, it can be very easy for us to forget where every blessing and gift comes from. It can be very easy for us to lose sight of those things, and we're not the first ones. Listen to what God said to the people of Israel in Deuteronomy chapter eight, because it stands as a powerful warning for us today. If we are going to store up treasures in heaven and live a generous life, we need to understand that in those moments of blessing, it is easy to lose sight of the blesser. Listen to what God says in Deuteronomy chapter eight. Beware, interesting word again, that you do not forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his ordinances and his statutes, which I'm commanding you today. Otherwise, when you have eaten and are satisfied and have built good houses and lived in them and when your herds and your flocks multiply and your silver and gold, when they multiply and all that you have multiplies, listen to this warning, then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out from the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery." What God is saying loud and clear is this, in the moments of receiving, in the moments of blessing, don't forget the giver of those gifts. Don't forget where the blessings come from. Don't forget the fact that we have a good and gracious heavenly father who provides for and takes care of his children. Don't forget him and don't, don't forget your reliance upon him. Be thankful, be grateful. Even Jesus, when he cleansed those 10 lepers, the Bible tells us that only one came back to give thanks and Jesus asked, weren't there 10 of you? that I cleanse? Weren't there 10 of you that I bless? But only one returned to give thanks because only one was focused in that moment on giving praise to the Lord. The focus of the rich man. But finally, I want you to see the foolishness of the rich man. 
See, it's interesting in this moment. We, we would look at the eyes of the world and we'd say, well, what would the world say about such a man? Well, the world would say, man, he, he's got it all. He's got wealth, he's got power, he's got influence. He literally can do whatever he wants to do. The world would be asking him questions about, tell me about your lifestyle. Tell me about what you do. Tell me about how you made your money. Tell, tell us what, the, the, various, the, the, the tips that we need to know. But what does God say about a man who fails to look to him for direction? What does God say about a man who's more focused, frankly, on his own comfort than the calling of God? What does God say of the man who completely fails to recognize that God is the giver of the gifts and with those gifts, we should seek to glorify him? Here's what God says. He says it loud and clear. Verse 20, but God said to him, you fool, you fool, this very night your soul is required of you, and now who will own what you have prepared? I want to remind you this morning that Psalm 14 verses 1 and 2 says this, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. God concludes, they are corrupt, they have committed abominable deeds, there is no one who does good. The Lord has looked down from heaven upon the sons of men to see if there are any who understand who seek after God. The evidence of a fool is someone who lives and gives as if there is no God. He's not only living, oh, there is no God, he's living his life as if he'll never give an account. Here, God has blessed him with so much. God has given him wealth and God has given him resources and God has given him opportunities to really make a difference for the lives of others, to really make a difference on that which matters for eternity, to really make a difference on the souls of men and yet he selfishly lives for himself. God says, you fool. And then he says something interesting. You're making all these plans for your future. You think you're gonna live for yourself and chill off the fat of the lamb, but you fool. This very night, your soul will be required of you. You're making all these plans for your future as if you're the source of your own life. You're the source of your own breath. You're the source of your own success. But I'm telling you, this very night, you're gonna die. And everything you own is going to go to someone else. Now, that'll just bless your heart, won't it? You've lived for yourself. You've amassed all this wealth for yourself. You think it's gonna be the focus of your life from here on out. But I'm telling you, everything you've lived for, everything you've earned, everything you found security in, I'm telling you by the end of this night, it's all gonna to go to someone else. Can I just remind you today, you cannot take it with you when, it, when you go. I wanna share something with you that my hope is not to cause you uh, discouragement or heartache, but to cause us to realize the simple reality that the old statement is true. Only one life so soon it will pass and only what's done for Christ will last. One of the most sobering things that I have experienced as a pastor has been in the process of ministering to families when a loved one has passed away. As a pastor, there are many times throughout the year that God gives me the opportunity to preach the funeral, the memorial service for someone that's passed. There are many times that throughout the years of ministry, I have been called to preach a funeral for someone I've never even met before. And so in those settings, of course, there's conversations and communications and 
And then there'll be eventually a meeting together normally at the funeral home and there will be a service of memorial. And during that service of memorial, there's, there's often various trinkets, pictures and plaques and maybe awards and things to help us remember those wonderful, joyful, celebrative moments of that individual who's passed. And usually when the funeral is over at the service, there's a, there's a driving over to the, to the, to the grave side and there's a, 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 a burial service that takes place. And once that service is over, I normally drive back to the funeral home. There's normally a conversation or two that needs to take place with the funeral home director and Oftentimes, there's ministry opportunities that come out of that. So normally, I'll go back to the funeral home for it's kind of a final 20 to 30 minutes before I leave and, and I'm gone. By the time I get back to the funeral home, in just about every occasion, all those precious trinkets and things that are reminders of the life of that loved one, by the time I get back, sobering statement, every one of those things are packed neatly in boxes and crates and they're there for the family to gather. The reason why that's sobering to me is simply this. When I go back to the funeral home, normally the summary of that person's life is literally in boxes and crates in the corner of a room. And every time I see it, it is a visual reminder to me that the things of this world are not going with us into eternity. So it's important while we have this life, while we have this breath, while we have these resources, while we have this opportunity to do all that we can for the glory of God and for the good of others so that souls are saved, lives are changed, needs are met, and that God does incredible work. The point in this moment is the foolishness of the rich man is simply this, he was a fool. I want to remind us loud and clear today from Luke chapter 12, verse 48, God says to whom much is given, much is required. What are you doing with what God has entrusted to you? I want you to see the third thing. If we're gonna store up treasures in heaven, we've got to make sure we're looking out for the temptation of greed. We must learn these lessons from, frankly, the rich fool. But third, we must choose to live generously for the Lord. We must choose to live generously for the Lord. Verses 21 through 34, Jesus gets away from the parable. And getting away from the parable, he now begins to give us direct words of instruction. He doesn't want us to miss what he's saying. Don't confuse the message. He gives us words of instruction to under, help us understand how we are called to live generously for the Lord. The first thing I want you to see is this. If we are going to live generously for the Lord, we must depend upon the Lord. We must depend upon the Lord. Four different times in verses 21 through 28, we see this type of statement. So do not worry. Stop worrying. In fact, one time he even asked the questions, so why do you worry? One of the reasons at times we do not give generously and we don't live generously, frankly, is because we're worried. Well, if, I, if I honor the Lord in this way, if I bless so-and-so sacrificially, then what's gonna happen to me? How am I gonna pay this bill? How am I going to work out this situation? And we begin to worry. There's an anxiety that comes with it, a nervousness about it. Because ultimately, Jesus shows us, it's a demonstration that we're struggling, not with what we're giving, but we're struggling with whether or not we can trust God. See, Jesus looks in this moment and says, now listen, I want you to know something. As you honor God and live for him, God is going to meet your needs. 
He didn't say he's going to meet your greeds. He's going to meet your needs. Now, now consider, listen, consider the ravens. They don't have any storerooms or barns. They don't have a savings account. But guess what? God's feeding them day after day after day. He's taking care of them. And then he asks the question, how much more valuable are you than the birds? By the way, you don't have to worry about what you're going to wear. It may not be name brand and it may not be popular on social media, but listen, look at the lilies of the field. Look at how God has literally adorned them. They are clothed even more elaborately than King Solomon. And if God will take care of the lilies of the field, how much more will he clothe you? So stop worrying. Stop being anxious about it. Recognize that God is calling us to trust in him. Can I just remind us this morning that God is a good and gracious, generous, faithful father who delights in meeting the needs of his children. David said in Psalm 24 verse, I'm sorry, Psalm 37 verse 25, I have been young and now I am old. Listen to what he said. But I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his descendants begging for bread. Paul said it this way, Philippians 4, verse 19. And my God, here's the promise, will supply. Somebody say will. I will supply, God says, all of your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Many have marked the fact that in Malachi chapter 3, verse 10, the only time in the Old Testament that God says, test me now in this, listen to what he says in Malachi 3. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house and test me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing until it overflows. The question is not whether God will provide. The question is this, will we trust God? Depend upon the Lord. Secondly, devote your life to the Lord. Someone say, oh man, I went to church today and I heard another message about giving. Preachers are all about giving. Give, 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 give. Please understand, Jesus emphasized giving more than anybody. 130 times Jesus spoke directly about money. Over a thousand times in the New Testament, we give direct references in scriptures about our response to money. Why? Because it's not really about the money, it's about your master. It's not about the amount, it's not about the, the financial resource, it's about ultimately our devotion to the Lord, our giving of our heart and our life first and foremost to him. Matthew chapter six, verse 24 summarizes it well. Parallel pastor scripture, listen to what Jesus concludes. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one, interesting word, and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. In other words, Jesus said, listen, the key question here is simply, who or what are you devoted to? Are you devoted to God? Or are you devoted to your own greed? Are you devoted to his kingdom or to your own? Are you devoted to his divine purposes in the world or your own personal plans? Are you devoted to his calling or your own personal comforts? It's ultimately about our devotion. The third thing I want you to see is this. If we're going to heed this call to live generously for the Lord, here's what we've got to do. We must determine now. Not when we just get into the situation or circumstance and figure it out. Determine now to give sacrificially to the Lord. Listen to what Jesus said in verses 33 and 34. I don't know if you could be any more practical than what Jesus says. Don't be afraid, little flock, for your father has chosen gladly to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to charity. 
Make yourselves money belts which cannot wear out, an unfailing treasure in heaven where no thief comes near nor moth destroys. I find it so interesting that God says, now listen, you don't have to seek after what you're gonna eat or what you're gonna wear. Here's what you do. You seek my kingdom. You devote yourself to me. You spend your time, your energy, your purposes for my glory and not for your own. And determine now that you're gonna live and give sacrificially, generously, and cheerfully for my glory and for my name's sake. It leads us to a practical illustration. Literally, sell your possessions and give to charity. Now, Please know that I don't think that God is saying in this moment, okay, so get up from crossing on Sunday morning, go home, sell everything you got and hope it turns out for the best. That's not what he's saying. Well, the reality is, is that if you have a family, especially, you have a responsibility to provide for them and take care of them. And yet knowing our propensity to live according to our greeds and not according to our needs, I think that God is practically showing us that there are many things that we live with that frankly we don't need. You know, I told you about doing some research this week about kind of the wealth that we have in America. I also learned a few rather interesting and even humorous statistics. For example, in America, did you know that 47% of the people who own a garage can't park in their garage today? (laughs) Some of you are looking at your spouse right now. First eight years of our marriage, no, I shouldn't say, first two years we lived in an apartment. The next six years of our marriage, we lived in a house that had a single car garage. You know how many days I parked in it in those, eight, those six years? Not a single day. You know why? Because I had a lot of junk that I didn't need. You know what it sat there and did? It rusted, it was eaten by moths, and by field mice that came in as they were building houses behind us. It was very exciting. It literally was a waste. When God says, sell your possessions and give to charity, he's literally reminding us. Practically, there are often many things in our life that we frankly don't need, and yet those things could be used to meet the need of others. Those things could be used for the furtherance of his work and will. Those things could be used for his glory and purposes. Frankly, there are many things like that in our lives. When I think of this practical decision to give sacrificially, my mind goes to several illustrations through the years of ministry. I, I, my mind goes to Christiansburg. Several years ago, we were in a, a process of trusting God to help us build a building and we didn't have a lot of financial resources. And I, I'll never forget one of the ladies who came to the church. She came in and she said, I, I, I live on a modest income. It's really my husband's retirement. He'd passed away, but, but God wants me to be generous. I'll never forget her bringing to the office a bag. I, never, I was like, what in the world? And she's like, this is for the Lord. I, I, I don't know what needs to be done with it, but it's for the Lord. And I remember her walking out of the door and this sweet little godly lady who had nothing in the eyes of the world. And when I opened that bag, it was gold jewelry. And what she was saying was, pastor, take it, sell it and use it for the Lord's work. I, I, remember, how, I remember how small I felt in that moment because she, it was like God was giving me a visual image of the widow that gave her two mites. I don't know if you remember that or not. You'll read about it in this week's scripture reading. My mind goes to last year. We're going through a pandemic and there's a lot of unknowns about what's gonna happen with people's jobs. And I remember meeting with our pastor's council here and our leadership team of the church and saying, listen, we don't know what's gonna happen. So we're gonna invest well in these areas of ministry. There's gonna be needs in our community. We're gonna be faithful in these, but other spending, all of it's put on hold. We don't know what's coming. And yet also remember 
many of you, as the government was giving out money and putting money in people's accounts, there were many of you who called the office and said something to this effect, Pastor, we've been given this, but we don't need it, but I know people do. And I remember going through that time of shutdown in the midst of all the craziness of 2020 that I'll remember. I will also remember that in the middle of shutdowns, there was one week where literally the offerings that were given to the Lord's work in and through Crossland Community Church was almost $60,000. Because there were many of you who were saying, Pastor, we don't need this, but we know that people do. Give this to the Lord's work. Give this to the missionary that's in need. Give this to the family that's in need. When I think of that generosity, my mind goes back to Christmas time last year. When some of you in the church, God was burdening your heart and God was convicting you in areas and you realized how blessed you were and you came with something, there's families that are hurting and you, and you just gave to the Lord. What's crazy is coming through 2020 and maybe there's something I'm unaware of, but when our pastoral team and pastor's council all got together to recap God's blessings over the year, we could not think of a single need in the entire body of Crosslink Community Church that had not been met. You know why? Because you had determined to give sacrificially and faithfully to the Lord. You say, Pastor, what are you saying? I'm saying to us, that when you and I are faithful to realize that everything we have has been, trust, been entrusted to us by God for his glory and his purposes, it leads us to be a generous people. Somebody said, well, pastor, what does this message have to do with the gospel? That, that is our mission. That is our focus. What does this message have to do with that calling that it's high time? Well, do you remember last week in Acts chapter four, we saw the, the disciples, we saw those early apostles, we see the church as they're being bold in their witness for Christ, they're proclaiming and sharing the gospel. You remember that last week? In Acts chapter four, the pastor's scripture didn't end with the sharing of the gospel. Listen to the evidence of the power of the gospel at work in the life of the early church in Acts chapter four, and then we'll close. The Bible says in verses 32 to 35, it'll be on the screen. And the congregation of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And not one of them claimed that anything belonging to him was his own, but all things were common property to them. And with great power, the apostles were giving testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and abundant grace was upon them all. Incredible what's happening, but listen to the next statement. For there was not a needy person among them. For all who were owners of land or houses would sell them and bring the proceeds of the sales and they would lay them at the apostles' feet and they would be distributed to each as any had need. In other words, the evidence of the power of the gospel was not only in the way that they loved Jesus and began living for him, it was also in their faithful, sacrificial generosity as they were seeking to be the hands and feet of Jesus in the world around them. What I'm saying to you today is simply this. There's a lot of ways that we can spend our time, our talent, skills, and ability. There's a lot of ways we can spend even the resources that God has entrusted to us. God has called us first and foremost to seek him and to honor him. 
You know, that verse of scripture in the middle of that parable about the rich man, and then the instructions about generosity, right in the middle of that, there's a verse of scripture that becomes the hinge, really the turning point of the entire passage. Jesus says, now let me tell you about the fool. Let me tell you about how he lived. Let, let me tell you these instructions. But in the middle of that, there's a little turning point where Jesus says this. You remember that fool? Such is the person who lives for themselves and is not rich towards God. In other words, the parable of the rich fool is still being written today. When you and I decide how we're going to live our life, how we're going to spend our resources, what we're going to do with what God's given to us, we are determining, am I going to be the fool or am I going to follow and seek after the Lord? Am I going to live for, my, for myself or am I going to live for the Savior? Is my life and all the possessions, is it going to fade away or is it going to matter for eternity? The truth is the choice is up to us. And my hope and prayer today is that each of us will live our life by faith in Jesus, surrendered completely to him, which leads us to a place of great generosity for his glory. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this morning and for this time together. Lord, thank you. I thank you for all that you have done and are doing in our lives. Father, more than anything, I thank you for Jesus. I thank you that he gave his life on the cross for us so that we could be rescued from our sin. I thank you that he rose again from the grave that we might have eternal life. I thank you for the promise that heaven is our home and that one day we'll be there for all who believe in Jesus. So God, I pray that for those who aren't certain of their salvation, that today would be a day where they know for certain that they have believed in Jesus and that they are living their life for him. God, I pray there's anyone that does not know that with certainty, that today would be a day where you convict them and draw them and they would be reminded of your great generosity to them as poured out through the cross of Christ. God, right now, Lord, I also pray for all who have believed and all who have been saved. May we realize that every good and perfect gift has indeed come from you. And with these giftings, God, it is a joy, it is an honor, it is a privilege to give back to you. So God, I pray that we would not look at it in a, in a cold way or in a, in a legalistic way. I pray that we'd not look at it in a, in a means of demanding, but that we would look at it really as a means of celebration that we get to be a part of your work in the world. And God, you've blessed us so greatly. Father, help us to be reminded that only what we do for you will matter in eternity. So I pray that we would not waste our life, we'd not waste our talents, we'd not waste our resources, but we would use them well for your glory and your purposes, I pray in Jesus' name. Thank you so much for taking time to listen to this podcast. We encourage you to come and join us right here on our campus. We're located right next to the county fairgrounds here in Harrisonburg, Virginia. If you have any questions about the church, any question about the message, feel free to email us or call us and let us know. And we look forward to seeing you soon. God bless you.